everyone. <laughs> and welcome to an extra spooky episode of That Time When, the comedy history podcast where we tell you about strange things that have happened in history. And the podcast where we have our Halloween episode on the scariest day, November 2nd. So scary! Yes. But I wanted to do Black History Month, and frankly, that takes up all of October. Yeah, it does. It does mean that we we can't really do a dedicated Halloween episode in time. We always have to do it after the fact. (laughs) That's true. So I thought today I was going to do a scary episode about some Victorian serial killers. Ooh, the best kind of serial killers. Mm-hmm. And these are people you've probably heard of before. Okay. But they've got a lot of nice gothic elements to their own lives. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, their names are Burke and Hare. Burke and Hare, you see. Yes. But they weren't Scottish. What? No, they weren't Scottish. They were from Ireland. But they they were in Scotland, though, weren't they? They were in Scotland, yes. They committed their murders in Edinburgh, which right, was yeah. the place to be for cadavers, apparently. I always thought they were Scottish. Yeah, everyone thinks they're Scottish. I think because it takes place in Edinburgh. Yeah. But they both happened to be Irish, and, um, having moved to Scotland. And it's also the fact that Burke and Hare is really fun to say in a Scottish accent. That's true. Burke... And hair. <laughs> That's true. So, this story takes place in 1828. Okay. Now, we've talked before about the bloody code. Have we? Yes. Very briefly, I think when we were talking about the London monster. Oh, right. And we talked about all of the different things that you could do to get executed. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, where they just, you know, really wanted to get rid of people. Yeah. Okay, right. So the bloody code had been really useful for people in Edinburgh. The bloody code. That's exactly the same joke you did last time. Yeah, I know. (laughs) It's it's the same with anything when there's bloody something or other. So the deal was that Edinburgh was a leading European centre of anatomical study. Okay. They had the best doctors because they had... The ability to cut up corpses and see what was going on. Okay. Except that Scottish law said that corpses used for medical research could only come from people who died in prison or been executed. Right. Suicide victims. Okay. Or from foundlings and orphans. Oh, no. I know. Really sad, but... (laughs) Oh, I think it's like undesirables. We can cut them up, plus the orphans. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I really hope they meant ones who had passed away yeah <laughs> i think they did I, w- I wonder if they sort of at what point do you become an orphan to have your cadaver chopped up yeah because like if you die of old age chances are that you are, you an, are orphan. an orphan i think they literally mean like the kids whose parents have right. left them in orphanages and then they died because of bad situations right. or whatever so before they're like proper adults who can contribute to the workforce i think so yes yeah. i think that's what's going on we're only sending these ones up chimneys. We can <laughs> we can chop up a few. Well, the problem is, though, that they repealed the bloody code. They changed it up. They were like they reduced down the number of things you could get executed for because it was clearly ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think there was one where it was like if you break a window with the intent to steal on a winter's night. Yeah. Oh yeah, I remember that. And there was another one which was like if you destroy somebody's fish pond. 
I like the idea that they just, they go from one extreme to the other. It's like, we've got too many people. We better start killing them. And then it's like, oh, we've killed too many people. We now have a lot of vacancies. <laughs> well, so because of this, they st- uh, there was a shortage of corpses. Right. Um, and this led to body snatching. Ooh. Which is one of those nice little spooky things yeah. from Victorian times that's just really gross when you actually think about it. Yeah, it, it's like, it sounds spooky, but when you actually think about it... It's just grotty, it's just, isn't it's it? Just, it's just grim, yeah. yeah. So, because so many people were digging up corpses, mm-hmm. um, people in Scotland, especially in Edinburgh, started to try and make sure that their graves were less undisturbed by these people who were called resurrection men. It's my favourite. It's a good term. So they created things like mort safes, which you can still see in some graveyards today. Right. That's when you've got a little cage over the top of the grave. Of course. Yes, I have seen that. In fact, isn't there there one in the village that we we went to school? Yeah, there is. And I always thought, you know... It's a vampire. Yeah, or it's somebody who's going to try and crawl out of there. Yeah, but no, it's to stop people getting in. <laughs> right. Okay. And the other thing people used to do would be to build little towers, um, so that people could keep a watch oh, on newly dug graves. Right. Because yeah. obviously, after a while, your loved one is safe. Yeah. Like they've rotted it enough. It's all good. <laughs> oh, they're not worth anything anymore. Yeah. Just leave them be. <laughs> well. Cadavers were apparently very expensive. Mm. So as a result of this, this kind of led the way to Burke and Hare being able to be really successful because they became killers in order to sell corpses to the doctors and make money. I mean, it's it's a sort of cut out the middleman, kind, <laughs> kind of literally, really. Yeah, yeah. So they're not <laughs> waiting for people to die is basically the issue. yeah. So I had a look into their past and I thought it was very interesting. Like I said, they were both from Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, also, William Burke was originally middle class. Right. Which I didn't know. I thought they were both like low common people. Um, oh, yes. Well, it's only the commoners who would dare snatch bodies from their resting place. Well, I suppose I was thinking about the fact that they are largely, as I'll discuss later, working in really poor areas right living among impoverished vulnerable people yeah and that's how come they got away with it for so long yeah i was about to do something about them you know seeing a neighbor who's looking a little peaky and being like oh excellent and i realized the voice i was about to do was going to be cockney (laughs) yeah so it's like I, i i i cannot I still cannot think of them as Irish. No, you can think of them as literally any other thing. I'm going to be honest, like, the great Kate Beaton yeah. has done a comic on Burke and Hare, yeah. which I will reference later, but Excellent. she does give them, like, a weird Cockney accent. That's probably why I'm thinking of it. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, oh, isn't she a well-known prostitute? <laughs> prostitute. I don't know. It's so weird. And even in her notes underneath, she's like, I don't know why I gave them this stupid voice. Sometimes it just happens. <laughs> well, it kind of works. So, uh, William Burke was born in Ernie, County Tyrone, Ireland. And he had a comfortable upbringing. He joined the British Army as a late teenager. Mm-hmm. 
And he served in the Donegal militia until he met and married a woman and settled down. But then he had an argument with his father-in-law over land ownership, so he deserted his wife and family. Wow. Yeah. That must have been a hefty argument. I would say so. <laughs> that or he was really just looking for an excuse. I think it was a hefty argument because right. he moved to Scotland because they were building the Union Canal at the time. Right. And so he could work on it as a labourer. Right. Okay. This seems like a dip to yeah. me. Yeah. So while he was there, he set up home with a woman called Helen McDougall. Excellent. Good good Scottish name. Good Scottish name. And he, she basically became his second wife, but I don't think he ever actually married right, her. Right, yeah. And they did a lot of different things. They were hawkers, and Burke became a cobbler. And eventually they moved into Edinburgh and set up a lodging house, right. which will become important. And then they were approached by a strange gentleman in fancy attire who said... Ah, Mr. Burke, I've heard about you for some time. <laughs> I'm setting up a group known as the Resurrection Men. <laughs> no. Aww. It's stupider than that. Excellent. So William Hare was probably born in County Armagh or in Newry. And he seems to have been a lot poorer to start off with. He seems to have been an agricultural labourer. And then he moved to Edinburgh to work on the Union Canal for seven years. Whoa. And then travelled into Edin and travelled into Edinburgh. So we've got that good thing that we see a lot of in this podcast where it's like, if you are of the lower classes, then you're probably born in this area in this time, but we don't know. Yeah, this is a no deal. Because no one bothered to record it. We don't know. Apparently when he was arrested uh, for the murders, he claimed he was 21 years old. Right. Uh, but we just don't know. Oh, okay. Um, he lodged at a place called Tanner's Close in the house of a man named Logue and his wife, Margaret Laird. And then when Logue died... He may have married Margaret. Right. But again, he might just have been kind of together with her. At this point, we're kind of thinking they're romantically involved. Yeah. He came home one day and he saw Margaret was sitting there in a suit and a top hat. And she said, ah, Mr. Hare, I've been watching you closely for some time. Would you like to join the Resurrection Men? <laughs> so in 1827... Both uh, Burke and his wife, MacDougall, went to work on the harvest. Right. And there they met Hare. And they became friends. Now, I realise I've made a mistake earlier on. Right. Which is, I said that Burke set up a lodging house. It was Hare who owned the lodging house. Right. Which was the one that he had with his wife. Okay. So, they became friends when they met at the harvest. Yeah. And so, everyone moved into Hare's lodging house and the two couples soon acquired a reputation for hard drinking and boisterous behavior oh especially the women i mean probably yeah. there's some there's some historian who describes margaret laird the one who was with hair yeah as a hard-featured and debauched virago oh amazing which seems harsh i yeah, but also at the same time, that's kind of cool. Yeah, that's true. Debauched virago. <laughs> that's everyone's go every woman's goal, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what is a virago anyway? I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> Should I look it up? Yeah, probably.
It is a woman given to undue belligerence or ill manner at the slightest provocation. Ah. Moody. Could also be called a shrew <laughs> ah, or right. a termagant. A termagant? A termagant. Isn't that a type of aquatic bird? No, it means a quarrelsome, scolding woman, especially one who is old and shrewish. Wow. It really says something that there are a lot of these different words to describe <laughs> basically the same thing. Because, you know, you've really got to pin down exactly how awful a woman is. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we are awful. We scold people all yeah, the time. Absolutely. But there's different sorts of scolding. That's true. So, scolding from an old woman is mm, different from scolding by a young woman. Exactly. And will be punished accordingly by the elders. <laughs> I mean, you say that laughingly, but there was literally in the medieval times a thing called um, the scolds bridle right which used to be a kind of metal cage that you'd fix over a woman's head right and it had a a metal bit that went into your mouth so that you couldn't talk otherwise it would cut your tongue your tongue would swell up oh god yeah and that was a punishment for women who nagged their husbands i'm sad now i'm sorry let's cheer you up by talking about the first murder yay Yay! is it grisly and bloody well actually the first one isn't a murder i'm sorry (laughs) you're trying to cheer me up and then you just bring me right back down (laughs) so on the 29th of november 1827 a man called donald who was lodging in Hare's lodging house died of dropsy okay now he'd been staying there for quite a while so he owed four pounds of back rent oh dear now Hare was really upset about this Mm. but they thought to themselves hey we can sell this body to an anatomist and we can recoup our losses. Yeah, makes sense. So the thing is, he was supposed to be buried, this man, because it's illegal to sell this man. Oh, of course, yeah. I love that I just said that as a phrase. Yeah. yeah, It's illegal (laughs) to sell this man's body. Yeah. Um, So what they did was when they got the coffin for the burial, Mm -hmm. which was supposed to be like a local parish burial, so they get a coffin and that's given to them for free. Right. They filled it up with bark to weight it down. And then after dark, they took the corpse to Edinburgh University and looked around for a purchaser. Amazing. Which I love the idea of wandering around at nighttime in Edinburgh, (laughs) being like, psst, oi, mate. You're looking for a corpse. I'm just imagining it. It's like it's a busy street market with people like spleens, fourpence a pound, fourpence a pound, spleens. So apparently they got sent to um, Dr. Knox's premises in Surgeon's Square. Amazing. I love that it's called Surgeon's Square. Yeah. Now, Dr. Knox is really important. He is apparently one of the most important anatomists of the Victorian period. And is this Knox N-O-X? K-N-O-X. Ah, okay. So not quite as cool as I was thinking. Why were you thinking, like, noxious? No, 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 because if he's Dr. Knox, he's Dr. Knight. Oh, no, unfortunately, no. But he was apparently sort of really, like, a world leader in terms of anatomists. He was the person who was changing Scotland forever in terms of doctorly knowledge. Right. Um... But he really gets brought down by this whole affair because, of course, he bought this body. Yeah. And he paid them seven pounds and ten shillings. Oh, wow. He made a profit. Which is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Hare made a profit on that. He did. So Hare took 
four shillings and five sorry four pounds and five shillings right and Burke took three pounds and five shillings yeah so that Hare got more to balance his yeah. loss um, and kind of as a result of this they had this in mind that this was a really good thing to do because this seemed like an easy way to make money I mean yeah makes sense and also according to Burke's official confession one of Knox's assistants told them that they would be glad to see them again when they had another to right. dispose of. Mm. Ah. Which I think might just be Burke, like, putting the blame on someone yeah. else. It's like, they knew what was going on all along. They encouraged us. We was but poor, wayward children, led astray by, by bad advice. Mm. So the next, well, the first murder uh, took place either in January or February 1828. And it was probably that of a miller called Joseph, who, again, was lodging in Hare's house. Yeah. Now, the deal with Joseph was that he had developed a fever while staying in this lodging house and become delirious. And it was probable that both Hare and his wife were a bit worried that having an infectious um, lodger would be really bad for business. You don't want that, especially in those days. Yeah, I can see that. So they basically decided, let's speed this whole thing up. Like, he might (laughs) die anyway. We know the conclusion to this story. Let's just skip to the end. (laughs) Yeah, basically. Get rid of the middle chapters. So they gave him some brand. They gave him some whiskey. And then suffocated him. Okay. And once again, they took the corpse to Knox. And this time he paid him, he paid them £10. Oh, man, bodies paid a hefty sum. They really did. It was very, very worthwhile yeah. to do this type of murder. I'm not surprised there were resurrectionists about. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to cover every single murder they did, because after a while, it becomes a bummer. <laughs> right, okay. Um, <laughs> But basically, suffice it to say, and don't worry, I'm not skipping forward to the end or anything. Right. But suffice it to say, in terms of the murders they committed, a lot of the times what they did would be to encourage poor, elderly, vagrant type people to come into the lodging house where they would murder them. It's all a bit Fred and Rose West, really, isn't it? Except that it's like couples date, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is very that. It's very like enticing people to get yeah. murdered. Although here, I guess the thing about these two is you never end up really, people never end up really worrying about their mentality because it seems like it's, they're just murderers yeah, for money. It's profit driven. Yeah. It's not satisfying some dark hunger. No. And actually, I'll explain later that apparently uh, Burke, who was very firmly Christian and right. went to church regularly yeah. and was rarely seen without his Bible was like really guilt-ridden by all of this and actually had some trauma from yeah. what he was doing. But apparently the money was just too good. Yeah. Rarely seen without his Bible, his lead-weighted Bible that always seemed <laughs> to have bloodstains on it for some reason. I have to say, this whole thing is a bit surprising to me. I mean, yeah? it's made me realise that I know very little about Burke and Hare. Yeah. I definitely had the image of them, you know, going out at night on the streets of Edinburgh and finding someone and killing them. What, sort of out on the streets? Yeah, rather than, you know, bringing them home yeah. and then just, you know, quietly disposing of them. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you kind of imagine with all killers that it's going to be kind of like 
really gruesome. Mm. And I mean, it's grim, but they mostly smothered their victims to death yeah. because that meant that it was the best thing for the anatomists. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they mostly just got people drunk first. Yeah. Which, you know, helped. Yeah. And mostly at their house as well. Hmm. So, there were some suspicions. Okay. As they were going through murdering all of these people. Because even though they were quite poor, often vagrant type people, um, they did still have people who were looking for them yeah. as well. So, for instance, there was one time when they invited two women back to the lodging. Right. Uh, this was Burke in particular. Uh, he bought them alcohol at a tavern first, then t- took them back to his lodging. Right. They left the tavern with two bottles of whiskey. Right. Um, but then, while they were having a conversation, um, McDougal, Burke's wife, yeah. um, accused him and one of the women of having an affair. Oh, no. Um, There was a row between Burke and McDougal. He threw a glass at her. Whoa. They are very violent people, by the way. This keeps happening. Like, that sort of thing. Um, The woman stated she didn't know that Burke was married. Right. And then she left. But the second woman had fallen asleep. Right. So during the time that our woman who's left, Hare and Burke murder the sleeping woman. Right. Then they put her in a tea chest. Okay. And take her to Knox. Yeah. And meanwhile, McDougal kept her skirt and petticoats, which I think she may have worn. Oh, God. Which is grim. But I think at this point, they've kind of acknowledged that, um, or McDougal's acknowledged that they're committing these murders, and she's fine with it. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it. That was going to be my question, is how much, you know, the wives were involved. Yeah, I think think she knew. I I mean, you've got to know. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they've suddenly got this mysterious job yeah. where that's paying them a hell of a lot of money. Yeah. Bringing home all these people who, you know, not the sort that they might normally want in a, like, respectable lodging house. Mm. And then they all mysteriously die and yeah. then just vanish. Like, you've got to know. Well, this is the thing, though, because this woman is reasonably recognisable. Her name was Patterson, Mary right. Patterson. And she was recognised by one of Knox's assistants, whose name was Ferguson. Hang on, is this the person in the Kate Beaton comic? No, no, this is a different one. There's a lot of (laughs) these. So Ferguson asked where they'd obtained the body because he thought he recognised her. And Burke said, the girl drunk herself to death and they had purchased it from an old woman in the Cannon Gates. Wow. And obviously her friend came back. This was Jane Brown. Yeah. Um... But she was told by Burke and Hare that Patterson had left for Glasgow with a travelling salesman, and apparently she was like she didn't really have any more wherewithal to find out what had happened to her friend. Right. <laughs> she was interested, but not really serious about it. Yeah, like there were some really sad, sad stories on this. Like there was a quite famous victim of theirs who was James Wilson. Right. Um, and he was known in the streets because he was disabled in several ways right so he had a limp that was caused by deformed feet and he was also mentally disabled okay but sort of well known i guess possibly a bit like um in norwich we've got this man called the puppet oh yeah yeah 
um, who's kind of well known because he entertains people on the street, but like very strangely. Yeah. And you will you you remember him constantly. Yeah. So James Wilson was one of those types of people. He was begging on the streets. He was mentally disabled. People recognized him. Hmm. So they managed to murder him. And when they took him to Knox, um, several of his students recognized Wilson. Right. And Knox said, it's definitely not um, anyone that you could know. Okay. You absolutely don't know this. But he dissected the body ahead of others. Yeah. So instead of um, like dissecting him publicly, as was often the case, um, he did a sort of partial dissection before doing the public one okay. to remove his head and his feet. Oh, right. Yeah. So this is the kind of thing that makes you think, Knox really knew what yeah. was going on, but he was kind of okay with it. Yeah. It's like, this is a terrible and massively illegal thing that everyone is doing. But, you know, it is profitable and it is, you know, useful. So yeah. let's just let's just pretend that everything is fine and go along <laughs> with it all. Okay, we're starting to get to the end of Burke and Hare's rampage. Right. Um, in the words of Kate Beaton, this was unbelievably sloppy <laughs> and also lazy. <laughs> We will link to oh yes, the it's Heart so of good Asian comic. It is fantastic, and fittingly, the final victim was killed on Halloween of eighteen twenty eight. Really? Oh, that's amazing. So, <laughs> I wonder if that was intentional or not. Um, I don't think so. It's just a happy coincidence, I guess. Mm. It's like, oh hey, do you want to be the most ghoulish people that we yeah. can describe without going too far into the realms of just straight up serial killers? Yeah. Well, kill somebody on Halloween <laughs> and make that your last one. So her name was Margaret Doherty, and she was a middle-aged Irish woman. Right. Now, Burke lured her into a separate lodging house, another one that the two of them owned. Yeah. Um, by claiming that his mother was also a Doherty from the same area of Ireland. Right. Um, and they started drinking, obviously. Now, the thing is that at this lodging house, there were two other lodgers who were Anne and James Gray. Right. So they paid these two to go and stay at Hare's lodging place for the night. Hmm. And they claimed that Doherty was a re relative, so it made sense they would drink with her. Yeah. Um. The drinking continued into the evening, by which time Margaret had joined in as well. Of course. But around nine, the Greys... <laughs> the, the belligerent virago or whatever oh, it was. Oh, yeah, the belligerent the, virago. The debauched, debauched virago, Oh, yeah, it. belligerent is part of the word virago. Yeah. Yeah, she is a debauched virago at this point, apparently. Yeah. And um, the Greys returned again at right. nine in order to try and get some clothes for their kids because all of their stuff was at their lodging house. Yeah. And they saw all of these people drunk, singing and dancing. Um, apparently, Burke and Hare had had a bit of a falling out this evening, though. Oh. Uh, they came to blows at some point in the evening. Oh, wow. I know. Like, unbelievably sloppy. <laughs> yeah. Also lazy. Um, <laughs> just shouting at each other, I'll kill you next, just like we killed all those other people. <laughs> Doherty is just sitting there like, what? <laughs> I'll sell you to Knox. No, I'll sell you. <laughs> so... They did murder Doherty, and right. they put her body in a pile of straw at the end of the bed. <laughs> now, I think this bed was made of straw. Right. But, like, they put her in a pile of straw just at the end of the bed. They just sort of dumped her. Yeah. I think this might also have been Anne Gray's bed. 
Right. Because the next day, the Greys come back. Yeah. And Anne was suspicious (laughs) that Burke would not let her approach a bed where she'd left her stockings. Wow, this is unbelievably sloppy. (laughs) It gets worse. Um, In the early evening, Burke and Hare left the lodging and they left the greys alone in it. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, they really can't be bothered anymore. (laughs) They just can't be asked. So the greys obviously searched the suspicious pile of straw and they found Doherty. And they also go, oh my God, her face is covered in like blood and saliva. Yeah. So. They go to alert the police. <laughs> yeah. At this point, they ran into McDougal, who clearly realised they were on their way to alert the police. She yeah. tried to bribe them with the, an offer of £10 a week. Wow. They refused this. When they reported the murder to the police, Burke and Hare removed the body and took it to Knox's surgery. But the police search still found Doherty's blood-stained clothing hidden under the bed. <laughs> Which was just another pile of straw just nearby. Yeah. (laughs) Then they were questioned, and Burke and his wife both claimed that Doherty had left the house of her own accord, but they both gave different times. Amazing. And this meant that the police were a bit suspicious. Yeah. So early the following morning, they went to Knox's dissecting rooms. Yeah. And they found Doherty's body. And they took James Gray with them. Yeah. He identified her as the woman. <laughs> Hare and his wife were arrested that day, um, as was like the other person who owned the lodging place, which yeah. is called Brogan. And they all denied any knowledge of these events. Of course. So in total, 16 people were murdered by Burke and Hare. Whoa. Um, Burke said later that he and Hare were generally drunk when they did the murders. I mean, it sounds like it. But I mean, yeah. That is basically their MO. Like, yeah. We're going to get drunk. We're going to do some murders. Yeah. Um, he said he could not sleep at night without a bottle of whiskey by his bedside and a two-penny candle to burn all night beside him. When he awoke, he took a drink from the bottle, sometimes half a bottle at a draft, and that would make him sleep. He also took opium in order to ease his conscience. Wow. Because he was so cut up about this. But he didn't stop murdering anyone. No, I was going to say, like, his conscience clearly doesn't weigh him down that much. Yeah. So when it's the... more just an excuse for alcoholism and drug addiction. Mm. Uh, when they came to testify and they came to court times. Yeah. Sir William Ray, who was the Lord Advocate, decided that he was going to do kind of a normal thing by this normal practice by this point, which was he wanted to get an, a, a confession from one person yeah. to convict the other kind yeah. of like um we talked about with oh who are those people on that boat uh, dudley and stevens that's it dudley yeah. and stevens so he chose Hare to be the one to get the confession from and Hare made a full confession of all of the deaths um i'm not sure if they tortured him at all but it doesn't sound great mm. um and as a result um burke was executed right we don't know what happened to her. Oh, a mystery. A mystery. He may have gone down into England and he was possibly beaten to death in a brawl. Was he though? Or is he still alive to this day? Perhaps behind you right now, listener. No! So Burke, meanwhile, was publicly executed. Yep. And of course, his body was given to anatomy. 
Right. You can still see him today. Oh. Uh, this is his skeleton. Oh, right. It hey, is. <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> possibly fittingly at the Edinburgh Medical School. Yeah. Um, he also, you can also see his death mask. Right. There. And a book that's apparently bound with his skin. Oh, God, who did that? The surgeons. Why? Because they were creepy too, okay? <laughs> apparently Knox completely got away with this, by the way. I'm not surprised. It sounds like they're not surgeons, but employing dark necromantic powers <laughs> with their books bound in human skin. I know, it's so creepy. Um, many people thought that Knox was the ringmaster who got Burke and Hare dancing to his tune, though. Right. Which led to this amazing rhyme, which apparently is still circulating in Edinburgh today. Okay. Which is, up the close and doing the stair, Butts and Ben were Burke and Hare. Burke's the butcher, Hare's the thief, Knox the boy that buys the beef. Ah, very, very good. good. It also led to a new word, which is Burking. <laughs> <laughs> wow okay which is a terrible word but it means to smother a victim or to commit an anatomy murder oh fair enough mm. i've never heard that word no not many people have but apparently it then got used for a lot of resurrectionists like down right. in london later on as well yeah you are convicted of burking so I suspect that Burke and Hare may have contributed amazingly to medicine. Oh, yeah, Possibly probably. preventing loads and loads of deaths, but they are delightfully creepy as serial killers. Yes. I mean, <laughs> you say they may have prevented deaths. They also... They definitely contributed to deaths. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit of both. You yeah. know, they're, they're complex people. They're not all bad. <laughs> they're not two-dimensional characters. They're fully rounded human beings. <laughs> Thank you for listening to that Halloween episode of That Time When. You can follow us on Twitter at That Time When 4 and suggest episodes to us at ttwpod at gmail.com. If you want to support us, the best thing you can do at the moment is give us a five-star review on your listening app of choice. And thank you, as always, to Kevin McLeod for our theme song, Anachronists, as well as any other music that Barnaby's used in the podcast. And thank you for listening. Now go out, invest in eels, and don't hide bodies in piles of straw. Bye! Bye!